went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kirath-Jerim. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Asherahs that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Asherahs and only worshipped the Lord. Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. And when they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the Philistines. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. And the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below beth Car. Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, explaining, The Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again, and the Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored, and Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Now Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year he would go on a circuit to Bethel, to Gilgal, and to Mizpah, and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there, and he judged Israel there, and he built an altar to the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, church, if I could invite you to grab your Bibles and turn them open to 1 Samuel chapter 7 to the passage of Scripture that was read for us just a moment ago. Uh, and as you're finding your way there, I just want to ask you, are you, do you feel like you are in need today of spiritual renewal? Are you feeling a little spiritually lethargic? Is it possible that the realities of sin and Satan have been stealing the joy of your salvation and and deflating the enthusiastic faith that once marked your life or once marked your journey with Jesus, if you feel as though you are in need of spiritual renewal, I want you to know that you're not alone and that you are not unique in that regard as it relates to the Christian experience. Spiritual renewal is something we all need at different times as we journey with Jesus. Spiritual renewal is something that we need. It's something that we um, should pursue and make a regular rhythm of our spiritual pursuits and our spiritual vitality and our spiritual lives, especially as we consider just the journey we've all been, we've all been undergoing for the past almost a year now. Uh, we're approaching a year of just abnormal living. Uh, the pandemic has thrown a wrench in everything as we have not been engaged in regular rhythms. We, we've not been gathering together on a weekly basis in person as we once enjoyed about a year ago, and we're still limited 
to the degree in which we're able to gather at this point in time, as, as hopefully we're on the back end and the tail end of this, um, of this pandemic. And so as we think about just what we've been experiencing and, and realizing that it's been almost, uh, that we're approaching a year of just abnormality, uh, spiritual, spiritual renewal is something we desperately need. And so one of the reasons why I think this is, is because pandemics and struggles, as we've all been undergoing for about a year now, they, they, they can have an adverse effect on our spiritual lives. They can have an adverse effect on our spiritual vitality, as we know that many of us perhaps have been succumbing to temptation in ways that are unhealthy and unholy, as we think about how, uh, how we've tried to cope with the pandemic in Christless ways, and we've been struggling in those types of rhythms. We've perhaps given up ground to the enemy by stepping into his schemes and not trusting in the promises and the power and and the glory of God, and the glory of his, his gospel. And so spiritual renewal is something that I, I believe we all need. I believe it's something that we collectively need as followers of Jesus here with the Hallows Church. And by God's grace and according to his kind providence, he has brought us into a passage today that gives us a picture of spiritual renewal at, I believe, to be just the right time. As we're starting to assemble together in person again, and as we're taking strides towards a more productive and and healthy rhythms in the future, this this passage is a gift from God for us as it portrays spiritual renewal. It gives us a pattern and a portrait of what spiritual renewal can and does often look like. And so what I want us to do is I want us to listen well to what God has to say for us in this passage today. And I want us together to prayerfully pursue spiritual renewal in our lives, in our church, and by God's grace all throughout our city. And so as we get ready to just kind of identify this picture, this portrait of spiritual renewal, I'm going to voice one more prayer for us and then we will dive right in. Heavenly Father, as we open up our Bibles, would you open up our eyes to see beauty in its pages? Would you open up our hearts to receive your word today? Would your spirit attend to our souls, for we need you. We need your grace. We need your presence. We need your power. We need spiritual renewal, and I pray that you would grant us that, that we would feel a vibrant connection with you once again, that we would be empowered by you to live lives that would honor you and that would help many, many people in our city and around the world. God, would you, make, would you show yourself strong on our behalf by granting us the spiritual renewal that our souls so often need? We ask and we pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage calls our attention to the need for spiritual renewal right off the bat. We're reminded in verse 2 that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, that has been kind of the focal point for the past three chapters in 1 Samuel, that it has been returned to Israel, but Not much has changed amongst the people, even though the ark has been returned. We're told that the ark has actually been with the people for 20 years. But Israel's relationship with the Lord up to this point hasn't been renewed. The Philistines still remain a looming threat, a presence of intimidation, who are stifling Israel's joy, who are stifling Israel's peace. They have taken territory from the Israelites and they continue to occupy certain regions of the promised 
land. And so just bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God back to Israel, it didn't change that situation. And so you get a picture here of how really a sobering reminder of how it is possible for you and I to be close to the things of God and yet remain disconnected from the reality of God. We may be close to the things of God, surrounded by the things of God, and yet lack a vibrant, flourishing faith in the reality in the reality of God. It's not unlike if you were to walk outside and to take a branch and prop it up against a tree trunk. You just prop a branch up against a tree trunk. That branch is not going to bear fruit. Being close to that source doesn't change anything. It's not enough to be next to the trunk. It must be grafted into it if life and fruit and growth is going to occur. Well, the same thing is said of disciples who put their faith in Jesus, which is why Jesus would describe himself as the vine in John chapter 15. And he describes you and me as branches. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, those are the people who will bear much fruit. Those who aren't just close to my stuff, who aren't just close to the church or close to the Bibles or close to Christian music or close to the Lord's Supper or close to all these gifts of God's grace in our lives, but are actually connecting with God through them. Those are the ones who will bear much fruit. For there's a big difference between having a vital relationship with Christ and having an approximate relationship with Christ. And if your relationship is approximate, if you've just been next to Jesus and not grafted into Jesus, a pandemic's going to expose that. A pandemic is going to blow the doors off that facade. When I was in college, I had a friend who loved Jesus when she had a boyfriend. But when that relationship would go sideways and that relationship would end, she would stop loving Jesus. Her relationship with Jesus seemed to be contingent upon boys in her life and And so when things would go wrong, that approximate faith would be exposed. And she had to be encouraged and discipled towards, look, it's not enough for you just to be close to Jesus. You are to connect with Jesus for yourself. And and by God's grace, she would do that before graduating college and her life would, would begin to bear much fruit. Well, the need for spiritual renewal is being called, our attention to the need for spiritual renewal is being called to here in this moment. But the first step to renewal, or the first step, you might replace the word renewal with recovery. If you've ever interacted with any type of recovery groups and anything related to gambling or alcohol or anything like that, all these recovery groups that are around our society, they will tell you that the first step, the first step to recovery or the first step to renewal is recognizing that you have a problem. That if you fail to recognize that you have a problem, you're not going to make much progress. You're not going to find the help that is needed for things to change. And so as followers of Jesus, when we begin to recognize that that there's a problem, when we begin to recognize that our relationship with the Lord isn't, isn't right, that there's things that have hindered my enjoyment of Jesus, that have intruded upon my faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. If we don't recognize those things, we we certainly don't shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, that's just who I am. Oh, well, that's just how I am. Follower of Jesus doesn't say that. We don't surrender to those types of defeatist attitudes and those types of defeatist mentalities because we have a God who loves us and because we have a God who is for us ultimately. 
And so spiritual renewal begins when we recognize that something's not right. And then we begin to show a little bit of remorse for that which has gone wrong. If you look at the text, you'll notice that Israel, we're told, longed for the Lord. It's not only recognizing they have a problem, they are showing remorse over their condition. They They are grieving their poor relationship with the Lord. And that word long there, when it says Israel longed for the Lord, that word could also be translated and perhaps better translated, lamented. Israel in this moment begins to lament their relationship with the Lord. And this is a gift of grace to them. This is actually a work of grace in their lives because God has been disciplining them for several chapters now. And God's discipline is about to have its intended impact as they are waking up to the fact that that their relationship with the Lord isn't right. You see, lament is what the heart does when when we see sin as sin. Lament is what the heart does when we see suffering as suffering. Lament is what the heart does when we experience loss. And the people of Israel in this moment have experienced all of those dynamics. Sin, suffering, and loss. And now they are lamenting that dynamic. You know, the Christian life isn't, the Christian life is not constant celebration and praise. The Christian life is not constant celebration and praise. Not yet anyways. As long as you and I are living in a world the world as it is now, celebration and praise will not be flowing from us at full throttle. This is why we want to recognize this word lament. The Bible allows for us to lament. The Bible encourages us to lament. The Bible even commands for you and I at times to lament. If you consider the book of Psalms, for example, did you realize that over 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? It's worshipers who have a vibrant faith in the Lord, expressing frustration over, over their lives, over their sufferings, over their losses. Those who have perhaps experienced close intimacy with the Lord at one point, only to find it kind of waning the next, and then they start lamenting that condition, crying out to the Lord. 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. You think about Jesus' life as he journeyed through the world that is. Jesus, on multiple occasions, lamented things. He lamented suffering and loss. You consider a few examples. Matthew chapter 9. We're told that when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant. The workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In other words, Jesus was lamenting the condition of the world. He was grieving what life was like apart from him as he witnessed those who were distressed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd who were journeying through a fallen world without the help of the Savior. And then you think Matthew chapter 23 Another moment where Jesus is looking out over the city of Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Lamenting the fact that people weren't flocking to him. Lamenting the fact that though he loved people, people didn't love him. That though he wanted what's best for people, people didn't trust him for that. He's lamenting these realities. Then you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus would be 
arrested and tried and crucified, and he goes to the Lord and he laments. He says, my God, my, oh, no, I'm sorry. When he's on the cross and he's about to breathe his last breath, he cries a cry of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Lament was a normal part of Jesus' experience in a fallen world, and lament should be a normal part of the Christian's experience in, the, in a fallen world as well. So we should not be ashamed of those days when we're not firing on all happy cylinders, when we have reason to be angry, reason to be frustrated, reason to cry out to the Lord. That's not a deficiency of faith. Lamenting is perhaps one of the deepest expressions of true faith that exists. And so you have Israel here longing for the Lord. You know, there are different rhythms throughout the history of the church that Christians have practiced to help uh, kind of bring lament to the, to kind of normalize it. This past Wednesday on February 17th, they kicked off what's called the season of Lent. And this is a season that Christians have observed as far back as prob probably as early as the second century. Christians began to set aside about 40 days before Easter to observe Lent. And Lent tends to be a, a time of uh, just a stretch of time that, where we are preparing ourselves for spiritual renewal. A time where we practice more explicitly and more with perhaps more discipline, repentance and fasting and reflection. It's a sober and somber time that leads us up to the Passion Week before Christ is crucified and, and Resurrection Sunday is celebrated on Easter. So this past week, you have perhaps received a nudge or an invite through our emails or through some communication channels to to access a digital guide for the season of Lent. If you haven't accessed that, let me encourage you to do so as this guide has been put together to help you uh, make the most of these 40 days leading up to Easter so that perhaps recognition and remorse might become uh, more a part of your consciousness at this time of the year as we all recognize the need for spiritual renewal. And when we begin to do so, when we begin to lament loss of intimacy, when we begin to lament loss of connection with the Lord, that, that's when we're put on the path towards spiritual renewal. This is what Israel will begin to experience when you pick up verse 3. In verse 3, Samuel, after they recognize their need for spiritual renewal, they begin to uh, lament and long for the Lord. They then turn their attention to Samuel the prophet. And in verse 3, Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the bells and the asterisks and only worshiped the Lord. Now this is the first time Samuel has popped up since chapter 3. And the prophet is there to facilitate Israel's spiritual renewal. He's heard Israel's longing for the Lord, they've come to him seeking help as the prophet, as the one who would bring God's word to them, and he begins to facilitate this moment. And he tells Israel what they need to do. He says, well, it's not enough just to recognize your need for spiritual renewal. It's not even enough just to grieve your condition in this moment. There's some steps that you can take. You can move towards the path to spiritual renewal, and this is what he says to them. He essentially tells them, 
to remember Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. And the prophet reasserts the reality that God is to be worshipped exclusively and that human beings should not honor any person, place, or thing above the Lord in our lives. It's the same dynamic in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, when the Lord told Israel, do not have other gods besides me. This is a very similar thing that Jesus would reiterate in his ministry too. Jesus had the audacity to make this same requirement of those who would follow him. You just listen to Matthew chapter 10. The one who loves a father or mother more than me, this is Jesus speaking, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's saying, look, spiritual renewal is needed anytime the Lord is, becomes a part of your life rather than the point of your life. It's needed every time we look to some other person, place, or thing for the life that God wants to freely and fully give us. Spiritual renewal is needed anytime we try to cope with our sufferings in Christless ways. Spiritual renewal is needed anytime we are enduring a long stretch of, of, of just spiritual, being spiritually lethargic and spiritually needy. So we recognize this and we hear what the Lord wants to say to us today. That the path to spiritual renewal is marked off by two rails. There are two rails that you run on when you move towards spiritual renewal. And that path consists of repentance and resolve. Now think about repentance. I don't know what types of images that word conjures up in your mind because when I was a kid and I would hear repentance, I, that was the word that always made me cringe because it was a word that I thought meant that I had to make a decisive and forever break with all sin in my life. Meaning if I was truly repentant, I would turn from my sin and never struggle with it again. But when we come to an understanding of what repentance is, repentance isn't simply, and it's not even just a change in a person's behavior. Being a repentant person doesn't mean that you stop doing bad things and you, and you start doing good things. That's not necessarily what repentance is. Repentance isn't just about changing your behavior. Repentance starts when you and I learn to change our beliefs. It's a changing of the mind. It's a changing of how we're thinking about reality and life and human need and the human condition. Repentance is a change in our beliefs. For the people of Israel in this moment, they had to come to a believe that the Lord was better for them than any of the other idols that they have pulled into their worship gatherings. And there were a lot of idols that they had to get rid of. And Israel had to repent by, by, by not trusting in those idols or those foreign gods anymore, these these idols that they assimilated into the worship of the Lord from the surrounding cultures and the surrounding nations. Very, it's probably an extension of all that was going down in the book of Judges. There was still some residue from that terrible period in the history of Israel where they worshiped all these false gods and they put all these false gods up next to the Lord. And Well, Israel had to learn not to, not to think that way anymore. They had to come to a point in their thinking of God is better for me and better to me than any of these other things. And so repentance starts there. It starts by changing our beliefs about who Jesus is, our beliefs about what life is about. And we have lots of beliefs about what life is about. So many voices, so many words are speaking into our worldview, who are speaking into how we think about what the, what the good life should be or what, what we should be about as we journey through this world. And 
But when spiritual renewal occurs and repentance is being practiced, we are coming to recognize there's only one voice we need to hear. There's only one word that should prevail over all the other voices and all the other words. So we bend our ear in the Lord's direction. This is what Israel is doing when they turn their attention to Samuel. They're saying, look, we've heard a lot from the Philistines. We've heard a lot from the Amorites. We've heard a lot from the Canaanites. We've heard a lot from so many other people amongst us. We even had bad spiritual leaders, Hophni and Phinehas. They told us all sorts of things. But we're recognizing now that all of those words were leading leading us down a path of destruction. And so they're now coming back to Samuel saying, we need to hear from the Lord. And repentance is being practiced in this moment. But it's not just repentance, it's also resolve. They're changing how they're thinking, but they're also making a decision, taking a concerted action against the idolatry in their lives. Whereas repentance represents a change in belief, resolve, represents changes in behavior. We make decisions that move us in God's direction. Notice Israel's actions here. Israel removes idols and they resolve, they commit, they discipline themselves to worship the Lord. Repentance and resolve going together. You know, during World War II, I read of a story of a worker in the French underground who was uh, resisting the Third Reich and German occupation of France. And there was one particular worker who was able to uh, travel all over France without being interfered with or experiencing any hindrance from the German soldiers. And the reason why he was able to move freely throughout the land is because there were some loyal policemen who just put him in handcuffs. And when they put this guy in handcuffs, he could just move freely as, as the German soldiers would assume that he, was a, that he was a prisoner, and so they didn't pay any attention to him. Well, if we're not careful, repentance can sometimes masquerade like that. And we can give the impression that we are repentant by shedding some tears or expressing some distress, but tears and distress are not infallible signs of repentance. You and I can be moved in moments without being transformed. We can be moved in moments without resolving to to change things and to take action against sin in our lives. This dynamic of repentance and resolve is what Jesus is going after in Sermon on the Mount when he talks about if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. He's not literally telling you to carve out your eyeball, but he is saying be resolved in your fight against sin. It's much like my college roommate who when he was struggling with porn and lust and all these dynamics and he finally came to a breaking point and he had been repentant but he hadn't taken a lot of action and he was finding this relationship between repentance and resolve, between belief and behavior and he, he grabbed the ethernet cord that connected his computer to the internet and he just ripped it out of the wall and he came storming into the living room and he took a knife. He was from New Orleans so he always carried a knife in his boot and, and uh, he came right in the middle of the room and he grabbed this knife, jerked it out of his boot and sliced the ethernet cord in, the, in half and threw it on the floor before us. He did it publicly so that all of his roommates could see. He did it openly and aggressively so that others could help him and encourage him and hold him accountable as he resolves to do things differently taking action against that which was holding him back from flourishing spiritually. So the path to spiritual renewal, it moves in the direction of repentance and resolve. It also reminds us that the path to spiritual renewal is tangible. It is a path that you can touch. In other words, spiritual renewal is not some abstract concept. It's not something Christians just talk about in the clouds. Spiritual renewal should touch 
in con- touch our lives in concrete ways so that tangible and particular and practical changes are made to our rhythms, to our commitments, to our disciplines. As we begin to align our beliefs with, I mean, our behaviors with that which we believe, this is what Israel is doing. And this is what we want to do too. One of the things I do like about the season of Lent that we're in right now is that Lent challenges Christians to identify specific areas, tangible things that they can refrain from, aspects of creation that have probably gripped their heart too tightly. And Lent gives us an excuse to say, okay, I need to get away from entertainment for a while because it's gripped my heart too tightly. I need to get away from caffeine, perhaps. It's gripped my heart too tightly. I need to get away from uh, the consumption of craft beer or whatever the case may be because it's gripping my heart too tightly. And you identify specific, tangible things to refrain from for a season. And it puts you in a posture of, of receiving spiritual renewal in your life as you're showing in a tangible way that you're not ultimately dependent upon those things, that your life is found elsewhere. And so Lent provides us a wonderful opportunity to do that. And I would encourage you to consider, has something in creation gripped your heart too tightly? Maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a spending pattern or spending rhythm in your life. Maybe it's lust and pornography gripping your heart too tightly. Use this opportunity to lean in and to step onto the path of spiritual renewal repenting and resolving in the context of community to walk a better way, to move in a Godward direction. This is what Israel is doing. And as I, as I mentioned that a few years ago, we were gathering down at Fremont Baptist Church where we started our church uh, nine years ago now. Our church here in Seattle has been around for nine years, which is hard to believe. And God has been very good to us over those years. It's certainly been challenging, but God has been very graceful and faithful to us. And But there was a time early on when we were gathering at Fremont Baptist and this lady came in who was a guest from another city and and she worshiped with us. And then after the gathering, she came up to me and said uh, said she had some words to share with me. And she sat down and we talked and she began to uh, just talk to me about some of the things the Lord had put on her heart. And she began to speak words that in that moment were timely, truthful, and even transformative to how I was thinking about our church at the time. And one of the things that she shared with me was that this word renewal was just stuck above the, as I was preaching, that's the word that was just stuck in her mind the whole time we were having our worship service that night. She just kept thinking about renewal, renewal, renewal. And she said, Andrew, I believe that the Lord wants to bring renewal in and through the work that you guys are doing here with the Hallows Church. And and to be honest, I I was encouraged by that, but my, my response in that moment was, Time will tell. Time will tell if that's true. But after looking at this passage and thinking about the journey we've been on for nine years, I'm convinced now more than ever that time won't necessarily tell. What will tell is whether or not we are stepping onto the path towards spiritual renewal. Whether or not we are putting ourselves in position for spiritual renewal to happen. Now, when I say that, understand that repentance and resolve doesn't guarantee spiritual renewal, but repentance and resolve is the necessary condition for spiritual renewal to take place. And so it's not enough just to let the clock keep ticking and the calendar keep scrolling. That's not going to bring in spiritual renewal. 
If we're going to experience vitality in our souls and in our community, we must step onto the path to spiritual renewal and repentance and resolve should become a, a regular reality that we're living into and living under. Now, you may hear that and think, well, that seems tough. I don't know if we can quite do that, which is why I want us to move a little further in the passage and identify the power of spiritual renewal. Because to walk the path to spiritual renewal, we need power. And the power for spiritual renewal doesn't rest with you. It doesn't rest with me. It doesn't rest with your resolve. It doesn't rest with your repentance. The power of spiritual renewal lies elsewhere. So you look at the passage. The power of spiritual renewal begins to pop up in verses 5 through 12 as the people of Israel begin to gather together. Recognize that this is a holistic thing. That this isn't an individual personal experience. This is God's people coming together and pressing into this reality at the same time. And so Israel gathers together and they begin to engage in the ordinary means of grace. Look at verse 5. Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mitzpah. And what you begin to find there are these ordinary means of grace whereby Israel expressed their reliance upon the Lord. They're saying, look, if, if we're going to move back to the Lord, if we're going to renew our relationship with him, we must relocate our reliance, recognizing that we're trusting in the Lord, we're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in the Lord, we're not trusting in these idols. And the way they expressed their reliance was through these ordinary means of grace. Have you ever wondered why disciplines like prayer and fasting and scripture reading, why these disciplines are, have been given to us by God to practice and to pursue? Well, the reason or one of the reasons is that these ordinary means of grace are ways for you and I to relocate our reliance. Every time you pray, that's what you're doing. Anytime you pray, you're recognizing that you can't bear whatever burden you're bearing on your own. Every time you fast, that's what you're doing. So when we fast and we refrain from eating and replace that time with prayer and, and a time of devotion and communion with the Lord, anytime that happens, we are remembering that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Prayer and fasting is about reliance. All the means of grace is about reliance. Leaning into the community of the church is about relying upon the Lord and the gift, the gifts that he has surrounded you with. And so you see this relocation of Israel's reliance in this moment as they are engaging in just ordinary means of grace. Prayer, fasting, confession. And these are means of grace that we're told elsewhere in the New Testament that it's assumed we'll do. Jesus assumes that we're going to pray, which is why when he taught his disciples to pray, he didn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. When he taught his disciples about fasting, he didn't say, if you fast. He assumed you were going to fast when you fast. The New Testament even assumes that you and I are going to confess our sins. 1 John chapter 2 if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The scriptures assume that we're going to engage in these ordinary means of grace. 
We're going to be people who pray. We're going to be people who fast. We're going to be people who confess our sins. Because in all of those moments, in all of those practices, we are relocating our reliance, saying our faith and our trust is not in ourselves. Our faith and our trust is in the Lord. And that's where the power of spiritual renewal comes from. But a funny thing happens in this text is that the moment Israel started moving in a Godward direction, and they started to relocate their reliance, did you notice what happened in the narrative? The Philistines began to rise up against them. They wanted to rely on the Lord, and the Philistines rose up to kind of squash that. And you can rest assured, anytime you move towards spiritual renewal, you will be opposed. Of course, you're not going to be opposed by the Philistines or some military army like that, but your enemy is far greater than the Philistines. Your enemy is far stronger than any military force that exists in the world. So Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And any time we want spiritual renewal, we're going to be met with spiritual resistance, which is illustrated in this story. So you might find yourself leaning into Lent and practicing and starting to fast and to pray more regularly and to, you're getting back into the scriptures and, and you might find yourself a couple of days in and not much is changing. You might find yourself feeling more irritable and temptation seems to be looming larger in your life. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because our enemy doesn't want us to experience spiritual renewal. He doesn't want us to live lives that are reliant upon the Lord. And so when we pursue it, when we move in this direction, he opposes it. Now, notice what Israel did. Probably the biggest thing they did to express their reliance upon the Lord is that they turned their attention to Samuel. And Samuel in this moment is serving the people of Israel, much like Moses did in the book of Exodus. Samuel in this moment begins to function as a mediator. And once they turn their attention to this mediator who's going to facilitate this spiritual renewal that's where the biggest part of their reliance upon the Lord is coming from. If you were to go back to the beginning of the Bible, you know that God created uh, all things, declaring it good, created human beings in his image, placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and there Adam and Eve experienced immediate fellowship with God, instant access, instant connection with the presence of the Lord. But when sin came in and they were exiled from Eden and life went sideways in the world, from that point forward, that immediate fellowship they enjoyed with God was gone. And human beings would never again, throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of the church, will never again experience immediate fellowship with the Lord. What is required now is a mediated fellowship. A mediator must facilitate sinners' interactions with the holy God. And Samuel begins to function in this way. The high priest later in the history of Israel will function in this way, moving ultimately to Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and man. So you want to know where reliance, where your reliance is to be placed as you interact with God? Your reliance is to be placed in the mediator. As you put your faith in Jesus, the one who stands between us and God, the one who mediates our relationship with God, the one who brings us back into a vibrant connection with this holy God. 
So you have this picture of the mediator stepping up and serving the people of Israel. And, and notice what he does in verse 8. Samuel begins to pray for the people. He's praying for them. And you wonder, what is Jesus doing for you and I right now? In this very moment, Jesus is praying for us. And his intercessions on our behalf are unceasing. He's constantly praying for us. He's constantly pleading for our renewal. This is why we can enjoy and rest in the power of spiritual renewal that he provides. What's remarkable in this story, though, is that as, the, as Samuel is, is praying and as Samuel is offering up a young, a young lamb to the Lord, you get to this moment where God begins to intervene and he begins to fight back against the Philistines. He begins to push them back. And notice what happens in verse 10. It says, The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines, and the Philistines were rolled back. Now, what I want you to consider there, when the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines, do you understand that this was an answer to Hannah's prayer in chapter 2, verse 10? The same language is found there, her praying for the Lord to thunder against Israel's enemies. But what I want you to consider is that Hannah's nowhere around in this moment. She prayed a prayer she never saw answered. Her prayer was answered, but she wasn't around to see it. She wasn't around necessarily to enjoy it. Chances are this has happened way past her, or uh, either towards the end of her life or her lifespan has already ended. This is one of the dynamics of prayer that disciples must always keep in mind. We don't stop praying because we do not see immediate answers to our prayers. Because a lot of times, the Lord answers our prayers in ways that we might not even be around to see it. So do we pray for spiritual renewal? Yes. Will we always see spiritual renewal in our city or stretching across the globe? We might not be around to see it when it happens, but we keep praying in that direction. And so we pray like Hannah, believing that God will answer our prayers. He may answer them in our lifetime. He may answer them when we're dead and gone, but he's going to answer the prayers of his people as they are prayed in accordance with his will. So we pray and we fast. We lean into the ordinary means of grace that he has given us. And then you get to the point where the Philistines have been defeated and drop down to verse 12, because verse 12 is very important to this whole narrative. Afterward, after the Philistines had been defeated, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us to this Point. And he takes this Ebenezer stone and he sets it up. He names this spot in a way that would remind all of God's people of what God has done for them. You see, the power of spiritual renewal comes through reliance and it comes through remembrance. As we recall and remember all that God has done for us. And we refuse to forget the way the Lord has helped us up to this point. And I love that little phrase, up to this point, because it reminds us that God's not done helping us. He's gotten us this far, and he will be faithful to get us further. He's helped us up to this point, and he will continue helping us, because what God has been, he always will be. And so these moments where the Lord comes through, and these moments of spiritual renewal that he births into our lives, these, these moments just become one link of a long chain of God's goodness in our lives. Just one link in a long chain of the Lord's help, of the Lord's grace, of the Lord's kindness, of the Lord's goodness. Let me ask you to consider, what are some Ebenezer's in your life? How has the Lord helped you up to this point? 
Now, when it comes to our individual stories and the micro-narratives of our lives, the answers to that question will vary. As you've experienced the Lord's help and you've experienced the Lord's goodness and kindness and power in ways that I haven't particularly experienced. All of us have had those moments, but they are those, there are those moments. There are links in the chain of our lives, links that are unique to your story, but there's one big link that's, that's common to us all. The biggest Ebenezer that we have to, to remind us of the goodness of God and to remind us of the power of God and to remind us of what the Lord has done and will do for us. And that big link that we all share in common is found at the table. It's seen at the Lord's Supper where we remember and recall what Christ has done for us. So what I want us to do in this moment is I want us to take a moment and, and do that. I want us to think about the cross and I want us to partake of the Lord's Supper and, and recognize that this is one link that's that holds us all together in the church. It holds us all together in the company of the redeemed. And so underneath your chair, you should be able to find a packet that looks kind of like this of bread and juice to help you partake in this moment. And if you are a follower of Christ, I encourage you to grab that and, and lean into this moment with me. If you're at home, now would be a good time for you to grab whatever elements you have set aside to partake in the Lord's Supper. And, and we're going to be reminded in this moment of what Jesus has done for all of us. And to do that, again, take your juice and your bread. Now, make sure the juice is on the bottom and that you would open the, the bread first. Uh, that's what we will do, and that will keep you clean, at least for a moment. But I want you to consider these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that, that assert the Lord's Supper as the biggest Ebenezer that we all share in common. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, here it is, in remembrance of me. The reason we partake of the Lord's Supper as often as we gather together is to remember the body of Christ given for us. And so we take the bread in remembrance of that reality. And then you turn the cup over and you open the other end that has the juice and we continue reading from 1 Corinthians. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Here it is again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in light of that reality, we partake of this, of this cup. See, the bread and the cup remind us of what Christ has done for us. The bread and the cup remind us of the body of Jesus given for us, his blood shed for our forgiveness. The bread and the cup remind us that spiritual renewal is possible and that spiritual renewal, the power for it, is found not in ourselves, but it is found in the one who gave himself up for us. So spiritual renewal then becomes 
possible. And we begin to lean into that by remembering what God has done for us and trusting that what God has been, He always will be. And this act of remembering is incredibly important as memory has this ability of keeping gratitude fresh. And gratitude helps keep our faith faithful. And so we remember, we consider the links in the chain of our lives, and every week we consider the biggest link that we all share in common. The link of the body of Christ given for us and the blood of Christ shed for our forgiveness. And that brings us to the promise of spiritual renewal, which is found in two words, restoration and rest. When you come to the end of the passage, that's exactly what Israel is experiencing, restoration and rest. The territory they had given up to the Philistines they've re- has been restored to them. Peace is prevailing in the land. And Samuel is now moving back and forth between serving the people and going home, serving the people and going home. Just this rhythm of rest and work, serving the Lord, serving people in a peaceful capacity. Restoration and rest. We want spiritual renewal because we want restoration and rest. We want vibrancy with the Lord to be restored. We want territory, perhaps, that we have surrendered over to the enemy to be reclaimed, to be reseized, so that we might flourish once again. And we want rest. We want peace. We want to know that, that the lives that we're living now in this world aren't lives that we're living for something. It is lives that we're living from something, meaning we're not living for proving ourselves. We're not living for pleasing ourselves. We're not living for those things. We're living from the fact that God already approves of us. And we're living from the fact that God is already pleased with us. And when you know that God already approves of you and he's already pleased with you, you can have rest. You can be at peace. And so in light of that reality, I'm going to pray for us. And together as a church, from this day forward, we are going to pursue spiritual renewal together for our sake, for the sake of our city, and for the glory and the goodness of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would hear our longing for you. We pray that you would receive our prayers, our practices, and that you would use them, Father, to form us as your people, to renew us as your people, to invigorate us as your people so that restoration and rest may be our reality. Thank you for the promise that spiritual renewal is possible. And we pray now for it in Jesus' name. Amen.